Hey Bridgetown family, Tyler here with some very exciting and very important information. As of this moment, Super Early Bird registration is open for this year's Holy Spirit Conference for just $70. You can visit bridgetown.church slash Holy Spirit for more information and to register. We are moving out of our venue in our sanctuary and into a venue right in the heart of our city for this year's Holy Spirit Conference to make room for anyone and everyone who wants to attend as we've sold out quite quickly in years past. So number one, I would say we're so excited to serve the Bridgetown family and those beyond our Bridgetown family who will gather with us for this catalytic event. And number two, I would say get registered early and go ahead and and mark your calendars for January 26 and 27 when we will gather together in the name of the Spirit right in the heart of Portland. Hope to see you there. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What's up, y'all? I'm going to pray, and uh, I would ask if you join me. Father, thank you again. We ask for more mercy in the second gathering. That's all we can ask for. In Jesus' name. In his precious and holy name. In his good and faithful name. In the highest name above all, we pray. Amen. What's good, y'all? I know I just dipped out on y'all a couple months ago. Um, I live in Black Hollywood now, a.k.a. Atlanta. <laughs> we starting off today. Bang, bang, let's go. Here we go. Y'all know how we get down. Um, it's good to see y'all, though. Um, before this gathering, I had an image of, like, a kaleidoscope. And uh, I've had the privilege of standing on this stage, you know, a handful of times now throughout the last couple of years. And I see you guys arranged in different positions. Like, I've seen familiar faces, but sometimes you're up there. And every time, I just get the chance to see a different angle of this community as you guys are sitting here looking at me, looking at you, looking at me. And um, I think you guys are a beautiful community, and I miss y'all. So there's that. Now, let's not get the waterworks already. Here we go. Um, About a year and a half ago, our brother Tim was teaching on this stage about the story of Job on like a, a midweek lecture night. And he, 
He highlighted something that Jesus said that I've just like glossed over for all of my years of discipleship. And I was like, dang, how did, how did I miss that? And it's in Luke 24. It's when Jesus rises from the dead and he appears to some of his disciples who were on their way to the village of Emmaus. And he walks up to them and he's like, what y'all talking about? And they don't recognize that it's him. So they start telling Jesus about what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, thanks for letting me in. But then he responded in verse 25 of Luke 24. He said, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So then they go on to have, you know, like a little barbecue. And then their eyes were open to see that it was Jesus that they were talking to. But then he like Harry Houdini's out of there. David Blaine's like gone. And he suddenly appears to his apostles and he starts talking to them about similar things, trying to unpack his lens on the scriptures. And this is what it says starting in verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. Pay attention. I'm like, how did I miss this? I've read this gospel dozens of times. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and I've glossed over this for years. And Jesus offers us his glasses to see the biblical story as he did. That's, that's a pretty big honor. You want to, if we're, all right, you already know, here comes the tangent. Nope, go back. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> so as his disciples, we put them bad boys on. And sometimes when we read as a, I don't know, like I wear glasses, like I'm, I'm almost legally blind and now I got contacts on. So the prescription was real strong when I first put on my contacts and I was just like, oh, but as I was able to adjust to it, I've been able to see things more clearly. I can see all your beautiful faces. And what if the prescription that Jesus gives us to look through can be strong at times? You're like, that's not how I was taught to read the Bible. And he says, give it time and you'll be able to see as I do. 2020, baby, here you go. So if we allow the literature of the scriptures to do its job, it's going to shape how we think. It's going to shape how we feel, and it's going to shape what we do. It's going to take us from following Jesus from theory to experience. I'm going to talk about that a lot today. I feel like much of my discipleship to Jesus has been following him in theory. Oh, I know he, you know, he offered his life on my behalf in theory. I know he rose from the grave in theory. But I'm, I'm trying to get this to understand that so that my hands and feet start doing the things as if that is actually true. I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't, don't egg me on, all right? I need to stay on track. <laughs> but the question is, where did he get this summary from? I've tried to thumb through the Hebrew Bible, and I'm like, all right, you said it is written. Like, where? You can't find it. But what if it's not, oh, let me just quote these texts so that you can proof text what I'm saying, but rather it's a way to read the entire thing. It's a pattern of reading. Not necessarily, here's the check the box and you did it. Now you read like me. 
This, all right, now here's the tangent. Here we go. Um, the scriptures are designed for us to meditate on them. And I'm not talking about like an emptying of the mind. I'm talking about a filling of the mind. They don't resolve all the tensions that we feel. That's not what it's for. It's about helping us to tune the tensions of life. It's about tuning, not eliminating tension. So I'm going to just tell you in advance, at the end of this, I'm not going to tie a bow for us on, all right, now what do we do in light of all of this that I've just been yelling about or will about or will yell about? What if this is an opportunity? What if church, what if the gathering of the church, here's the tangent, y'all. What if the gathering of the church is an opportunity to sit in the tension? Yeah, this is a hospital where the spirit is going to do his thing. But this is also a place to go, I don't know how I feel about women in eldership. Man, I wish I would have made this decision 10 years ago and everything in between. This is a place to go, man, there's not many people that look like me here. I mean, that's true. <laughs> no shade to y'all, you know what I'm saying? I see the few of y'all that, anyways, here we go. And being on the other side of like, everybody looks like me for the most part. How do you navigate that tension? I'm just trying to figure that out for all of my discipleship to Jesus, dog. I grew up in a cult that believed this whole thing is fabricated by white people. That it's designed to oppress people that look like me. That's the framework. But Jesus has clearly revealed himself to me in a way that I said, that can't be true. But yet, I had to be in a position, I had to be in Portland, Oregon of all places. I'm from Philadelphia to help learn how to resolve the tension. But I had to sit in it. It's been 11 years, yo. It's not a long time, but it's something. Get back to the text, cool. <laughs> so with all of that said, let's talk about the scroll of Exodus. Is that cool? Yeah. All right, y'all with me so far? Yeah. Yes. Gerald, you excited, dog. Feet tapping, look at that. <laughs> I said this at the nine, like, if we're not going to have fun, what are we doing here? I take, let me preface that. I take what I'm doing right now very seriously. But if I'm, if I'm in the context of my family, why would I not talk to you like I'm going to talk with my, my biological family later on at a table? Now we're just sitting at the table with the bread and wine. Ooh, come on, somebody. That's... That's, what my, that's what my grandma used to do in the black church. She used to be like, woo! Man, I used to be like, Christians are weird. Anyways, so on the front end of the scroll of Exodus, in Exodus 3, Moses was minding his business, shepherding a flock in the wilderness. And then God appears to him, and he reveals to Moses his name. He reveals him, himself as I am or I will be. But now we're going to focus on the back end of the scroll, Exodus 34 today, where Moses is the shepherd of Israel in the wilderness, coming to Mount Sinai, which is the place that he met God the first time. And what is God going to do? He's going to reveal his name as Yahweh, or he is or he will be. Like this, You can't make that up. It's in the text. But in order to understand our text as Exodus 34 today, 
We got to understand what happened in light of Exodus 33 and 32. It's a literary block. Excuse me. So last week, Gerald talked about how Exodus 32 can be literarily seen. That's a lot of syllables, I know. But literary, literally, literarily seen as covenant broken, intercession, covenant renewed. We can also zoom out of Exodus 32 to Exodus 33 and 34 as well. And we can see 32 is covenant broken. 33 is intercession. 34 is covenant renewed. But we're going to focus on covenant renewed, but we can't understand unless we get there. Make sense? Put your Bible cap thinking caps on. I don't know. Just do this. Be on board with me. Here we go. Exodus 32. Moses is on top of the mountain in the cloudy presence of God receiving instructions on how the Israelites are to live. But it's been a while since they've seen your boy. And they go, um, where he at? Hey, yo, Aaron, you're going to have to do something. And lo and behold, the golden calf is made. And God sees this, and he tells Moses, leave me alone. I'm, I'm upset, I'm angry, and I'm going to destroy them. And Moses, and then he, actually he tells Moses, hey, I'm going to start over with you. Moses could have been selfish and been like, all right, bet, like that's not good. They've been getting on my nerves all this time anyway. <laughs> but he doesn't leave God alone. He actually disobeys. He doesn't leave God alone. And then he starts bugging God. No, don't forget what you promised our ancestors. Don't forget what you just promised to us. Don't forget that the nations will hear about what's going to take place if you destroy them. Don't forget your name is at stake right now. Your reputation is at stake. You can't do this. God was like, all right, you right, dog. I should write a translation. Huh? Some things ain't changed, y'all. I'm just saying. But he goes, okay, Moses. Moses goes down the mountain and puts everybody in check. And he returns to God and asks for God to forgive their sins. And then he offers his own life on their behalf, but God doesn't take him up on that offer. Instead, he tells Moses to lead them to the promised land. But they're going to have to deal with the consequences. And he says, you can still go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I asked this question earlier, is it, is it better to go to the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey without the presence of God, or get your stuff together in the wilderness with God being present? Which one is better? So the covenant has just been broken, just like the stone tablets that Moses throws on the ground when he gets there. That's a summary of 32, 33. God tells Moses, take them to the land, but I'm not going with y'all because they're hard-headed. I've heard this plenty of times growing up. Hakeem, you hard-headed. A hard head makes a soft behind. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> and Moses responds, don't send us if you ain't coming. Verbatim, if you ain't coming, don't send us.
I wish we had a figure like Moses to say that for us today. Don't send us there if you ain't coming. Don't leave us here if you ain't going to be here with us. And then Moses says, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And God's like, because I'm pleased with you, my presence will go with you. But the word for presence here is literally face. My face will go with you. When you're having a conversation with somebody and you're staring them in the face, that's about intimate presence. My intimate presence will go with y'all. And then Moses has this audacious claim. I respect him for it. He's like, show me your face. Moses was like, uh, God was like, Err? that's going to kill you, bro. Is Moses out of pocket for, a- for asking this type of thing? Show me your face. Or is that what we were all designed to experience from the get-go, but now we live outside of the garden and our sensibilities couldn't handle that? Moses is asking for the thing that we were made for. He wants to experience God unfiltered. But now that man lives outside of Eden. And what happens outside of Eden? Death. What if we need somebody to help bring us back into the garden? This is the last teaching I had here. Back into the garden so that we could see the face of God. But that's neither here nor there. This is how God responds. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand. Until I have passed by, then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Moses is like, lay it all on me. And God is like, I can't do that. But I will give you something because you asked. Okay, let's just go next. Exodus 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. Praise be. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, maintaining loyal love to thousands of forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. I know that sounds intense, but we'll, we'll get there. But God's character and his name, 
This is not about theory. God is not compassionate in theory. Like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, I, like I understand him abstractly to be compassionate. No, it's to be experienced. If I'm a compassionate person, I hope I am, but if I'm a compassionate person, the goal is for you to experience my compassion. If I'm gracious, I, how am I gracious if I ain't got nobody to be gracious towards? That's why I'll be like, yo, we can't follow Jesus in isolation. How you love your neighbor by yourself, dog? Make that make sense. Me, myself, and I, all I got in the end. No. <laughs> Slow to anger. We like God. Anybody ever seen uh, Evan Almighty? Yeah. <laughs> you like that movie? All right. You know how Morgan Freeman played God? And uh, he's sitting here talking to, uh, I forget her name in the movie, but the main character's wife, um, the guy who plays like Evan slash Noah. And he's like, when we pray for patience, does God just make us patient or does he give us opportunities to be patient? How can I pray for God to make me patient if I'm not willing to be in proximity to people to be patient with? God is slow to anger because he's been dealing with us. <laughs> it's also who he is. He's been loving for all of eternity because the Father, Son, and Trinity, uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit have been relating to one another for all of eternity. All right. So let's break this down. Let's look at God's character. But again, let's take this out of the abstract and think about how we've experienced these characteristics of God in our experience. Like, wake up, dog. This is God revealing who he is. All right, I'm, I'm not yelling at you because I'm angry. I'm just excited. It says, Yahweh, Yahweh, which can be translated as he is or he will be, the third person of I am or I will be. He is the God. Oh, and when we think about God's character in Exodus 34, we got to think about what just happened in 32. How was the character that he's revealing Showing light on what just took place with the golden calf. Aaron said, he, Aaron is proclaiming at the golden, these are your gods who delivered you out of Egypt. No, it's not. Yahweh is the God who left, who, who brought them out of Egypt. You don't need any idols because human beings are his idols. The first two commands is, you shall have no other gods before me and don't make any idols. Why? Every other god in the ancient Near East had a, a statue or some type of representation except Yahweh. Why? Because he has made human beings as his representatives. He don't need no stinking golden calf. So I'm going to get ahead of myself. Moses is on the mountain and his face starts shining. But you can also translate that as his face horned with light. Horned. What else does the golden calf have at the bottom? Horns. And it's shining, but the real image of God is on the mountain, not at the bottom. You following that? Yo, you are an idol of God. Talk to me nice, dog. You better recognize, put some respect on his creation. All right, let me chill out getting all hype. 
but he is the one who delivered them. He will be the one who will keep them in union with him. Compassionate. God has this fierce emotion of care for Israel. Like a mother that looks at their child and is overwhelmed with emotion and will do anything for their baby, for their kid, for their teenager, for their adult child. That's the compassion that God has towards Israel, but to the nth degree. God was upset with Israel, the Israelites over the golden calf because he desires for his kids to experience wholeness and life and goodness. And idolatry robs them of that. Idolatry robs us of that. When we have an idol of sex, pleasure, and money, that's going to deform us. It leads to exploitation of people in this city that are happening right now. Some of you have experienced that, and I'm sorry. Trigger warning there. Come on, y'all. If we're not going to be real, what are we doing here? What are we shouting to the Lord for if we're not going to be honest? This city has some stuff going on. But God has his statues in this city. So what what y'all going to do about that? You know, I'm in the A, trying to, hey, do my thing. But what would it look like for statues of God across the country to show that this God is more real than people can imagine anyways. Okay. Y'all still with me? Don't get in the days now. Don't just be doing the... (laughs) Gracious. God is a generous giver and he loves for his kids to experience his favor. The Israelites worshiped the golden calf, but God still chose to give them the land. He just was like, I'm not going with you. And then he changed his mind and said, I'm going to gift you with my presence still, even despite all your foolishness that you just did. Slow to anger. I know you might read this and you'd be like, I don't know, God was ready to pop off pretty quickly. Moses, leave me alone. I'm about to kill all of them. We're going to start over with you. That seems like pretty fast. But if you think about when they first got into the wilderness, they've been wilding out the whole time. They've been like, oh. Yo, I'm thirsty, bro. Like, I'm hungry. It was better in Egypt. God brought us out here to kill us. Yo, what? It goes to show just because you may see a miracle, it doesn't mean that it'll change your heart. Somebody talk to me. I'm just saying. (laughs) Word. But he's been patient with them all the way up to this, this golden calf scene in the book of Exodus. And he says, enough is enough. But even then, he relents from his anger. And he starts to cycle all over again. And we'll talk about that in a second. Loyal love and faithfulness. God's love is good. It's loyal. It's committed. And he's trustworthy because he's relentless to his commitments. When he says he's going to do something, he gets it done. And from his loyal love comes forgiveness of iniquity and rebellion and sin for thousands. This number is supposed to make you thinking about an innumerable amount of people experiencing the forgiveness of God. But then it's juxtaposed. I think that's the good. Okay. My English teacher would be like, anyway, it's it's juxtaposed against God will visit the sins or visit the iniquities of the sin of the fathers to the children, to the third and fourth generation. This is not about God punishing innocent kids. This is not about God punishing an innocent generation. It's about, hey, um, 
if the, ch- if the new generation doesn't repent of their parents' habits, the, the consequences will come about. I'm going to bring justice. What would it look like if we repented for our sins and how that would impact the next generation? Where you at, brother? Oh, man. What would it look like? How much less exploitation would happen in this city if we repented of our secret sins that also may help contribute to the collective realities in this city? That's real life, bro. I am affected because of the infidelity in my family. Generations. I'm not exempt from potentially being an unfaithful husband. That is the thing that I, I pray to God I will never become. But if I'm not aware of the patterns of my fathers and my grandfathers and my great-grandfathers, I am not exempt and judgment will come. You understand what I'm saying? I got two kids that are counting on me to be faithful. I don't take that lightly. I love you, bro. So how does Moses respond to this experience? Exodus 34, verse 8. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped Lord. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Did you catch that? His immediate response to experiencing the character of God is to bow down. And then he says, forgive us of our sin. Bro, you weren't involved. But what does it look like for a righteous intercessor to unify themselves with a a, a guilty people of something and then say, forgive us? What is it about that? Put a pin in that. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome the work that I Yahweh will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Sit with that. Here we go. Luke 24, that's where we started, right? And that's what that got to do with Exodus. I'm so glad you asked. So inquisitive. I'm going to borrow some language from Tim's teaching here, and this is where we'll land. In Luke 24, Jesus says, The Messiah, who's a chosen figure, will suffer, but rise on the third day for the repentance for the forgiveness of sins to go out to the nations. So a chosen figure suffers, comes out of that for many to benefit. What else is this literary block from Exodus 32 to 34? But Moses, who was a chosen figure, who descends down the mountain to some chaos, but, and then he intercedes, in, but on the third day, y'all, he goes back up the mountain. God renews the covenant and forgiveness goes out to the Israelites so that the nations will benefit. Talk to me nice, dog. You can't make this up. 
Jesus was on to something when he said, put on these lenses and you will see what I'm doing. Moses, let's honor that man for who he is. I am just the greater Moshe. Everybody say Moshe. You just learned Hebrew today. I'm just the greater one. What he was doing was amazing. And I'm coming to bring it to its fullness. Okay. Moses remains on the mountain with God for 40 days and nights, and when he came down, his face was shining. He looked like the ideal human. He looked like a human who was designed to experience the intimate presence of God. Israel and humanity as a whole are in need of a human who is chosen by God that will endure suffering on our behalf and will be vindicated by God so that we can experience the forgiveness of God. I don't know if you've heard, but there's a story about a human who went up a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, his face started to shine, and so did his clothes. And then a cloud appeared and covered the mountain, and an audible voice is heard saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Anybody know who this is? This is Jesus. Yes, sir. This is Jesus. And who's on the scene with him? Mo <laughs> Mo Moses and Elijah, who represent in some, some, the, the Torah and the prophets. Did Jesus not say, hey, all of this is going to lead to something? And here you have these two representatives who are, but the focus is on the one whose face is shining. What if the one whose face is shining is who Moses was pleading to see? And that being has now come into human flesh. And yes, his face may still be filtered on the day-to-day -day experience that people had with him. But that face has now been known in the person of Jesus. He has taken what many have understood as theory and came to give experience to people. Some people only heard the oral history of how Moses was on the mountaintop. But now they get to experience the God who has chosen to descend the mountain and shows them. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to give you space to come experience all of this unfiltered. And it's not a coincidence that Peter, James, and John don't die at the scene. You want to see his face? Come on. God renewed his covenant through Moses with Israel, who was the righteous intercessor. And God's covenant with Israel has been renewed once and for all in Jesus, the most righteous intercessor of all. And through this renewal, Gentiles from every nation, tongue, and tribe can join in with the people of Israel, and we all bow down before the God whose name is Yahweh, who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, maintaining that love to thousands, and forgiving of all types of treacheries, and yet will be a just God at the end of the day. This is the God who Jesus makes known to all who come to him. He is this God. Moses once offered his life on behalf of others so that God would forgive the people, but God didn't take him up. But how much more did he accept when his son said, I will give up mine on everybody's behalf, and he says, son, I will gladly do so. 
If we take time to sit with the story that this literature is telling, we will see that God is willing to relent from his judgment when there is a righteous intercessor who's willing to step in the gap on our behalf. I need a righteous intercessor. I am a sinful man. Bless you. I've been one since as long as I have been cognizant of reality. For too long, I've been following Jesus in theory, where I've experienced God's forgiveness in theory. You know how long it's taken me to go, I finally actually feel forgiven. I've been on plenty of stages talking about this magnificent story of God, and yet I, I haven't experienced the thing. It's all been theory to me. Jesus died in, 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 on, my, on my behalf in theory. He resurrected in theory. And yes, one day I believe I'm going to see him, but I have come to experience this man. Yo, he changed. How many times have I been up here saying, yo, he changed my life, and he's changing my life. The stuff I've seen just being gone, I'm like, yo. His mercy and goodness is available. And we have a righteous intercessor. You're not Israel. Maybe most of y'all. But he has brought everybody else into the table to experience the righteous intercessor. Moses was amazing. But Moses is, is dead right now. But we got an intercessor who is alive and who's interceding for us right now. Okay, let me just land this plane. Uh, This whole idea about a righteous intercessor standing before God on behalf of others is not new. Yo, read from the beginning. For example, Moses, I'm not Moses, I love Moses. Noah comes out of the ark. What does he do? He barbecues and God is like, brisket. I'm never going to flood the earth again, even though the human heart is corrupted. Talk to me. Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah. What if there's there's ten righteous people? I won't destroy a city. What if there's just one? I'm not going to destroy a city. God was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there would have been a right. All right, y'all not with me no more. That's cool. No, no, no. It's all good. We're going to land this plane. Here we go. So if God was willing to forgive many when a righteous person stepped in, how much more when his son, who was the righteous one who stepped in on our behalf? Like Moses with the golden calf, Jesus didn't do anything wrong when it comes to the sin of others, yet he unified himself with us for us to experience the relational renewal with God. When Moses came down from the mountain, he broke the tablets, but when Jesus came down from the skies, he broke his body. And he offered his life for us. And he has been resurrected from the dead like two new tablets of a covenant. And like Moses ascended the mountain to step back into the presence of God, Jesus has ascended back into the skies with the Father. And Moses continued to intercede on behalf of the Israelites. And Jesus continues to do so on behalf of Israel and the nations now. The scope has widened. While we're down here bowing our knee to our idols of self-preservation and pleasure and self-identity, you name it. This is another, Gerald talked about it last week. Some, it's, you know what they are. But while we're down here walling out, you know, metaphorically, 
Jesus is in the heavens interceding on our behalf as we speak. Glory be to God. And if that don't hit you right now, sit with it. I promise you, just give it time. That prescription is strong. And it's hard to see life through those lenses. But I promise you, if you give it time, you will see clearly the thing that Jesus was trying to do and that he did and that he will do. All right, Hakeem, when are you going to stop yelling? After this, we are down here. <laughs> We're down here spilling the blood of our marriages, of our parenthood, of our singleness, of our care for the poor, of our political unity. We're sacrificing the blood of those things on the altars of our idols. While Jesus has gone to the altar in the heavenly realms and offered his blood so that it washes away what we're doing down here.